Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, comedian, filmmaker, role player. <laughs> okay, that was kind of like a, like a pause there, like you weren't sure. You want to be a star, you want to be a starter. Now I get in a few minutes game, Josh. I'm just a role player. I'll do what you need. I'll get to play scrappy defense. I'll uh, rebound, foul guy if you need. I'm, I'm a good role player, Josh. Oh, yeah. I didn't. Is that a sports term, role player? I'd never heard that before. Well, Josh, as you know, you pressured me into making every uh, kind of descriptor about myself relevant to the episode of it at hand. So, yes, that is a a sports uh description that's uh, someone who is not a star but who has a role on the team josh interesting i had I'd not no heard idea that. yeah i i was thinking of it as related to like uh dungeons and dragons or something you know a role-playing game but uh as we know i know nothing about sports but that's why we're talking about a sports movie <laughs> we uh we had recently wrapped up our season on the films of 1996 but we are taking a look at a couple more movies in these special bonus episodes. And in this bonus episode, we are talking about the inexplicably beloved Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny comedy, I guess, called Space Jam. And I the the both the existence and the like continued sustained popularity of this movie is one of the great mysteries of modern cinema, I think, really. No, I think the existence, I mean, especially looking back at some of the films of the 90s, I think you can explain the existence of it. But the, uh, as you said, the the sustained popularity and the seemingly, even like when it's not popular, it's popular. But then when it, you know, it has these waves of comebacks, like every few years, like this year, for instance, you know, yeah, it's always popular. Why, Josh? Why is it always popular? I don't I don't know. And one of the reasons we're doing this episode is because when we asked you, our wonderful listeners, uh, what movies from 1996 would you be interested in hearing about? This was one of the top suggestions from our listeners. And in fact, uh, one uh, fan, I guess, uh, JC from the Screen Fix podcast who enjoys pestering us has spent this entire season tweeting us about Space Jam. Um, whether he actually likes Space Jam or just thinks it's funny to bother us about it, I can't say. But it's certainly a movie that is in the zeitgeist. Well, somehow. look. Old man Bell is telling JC to get off his yard again, but I appreciate it, JC. I don't think you're bothering us. I think you well, are I'm showing a- your enthusiasm for a film that you want us to cover, and I appreciate it. And here we are for you and all the other adorers of Space Jam. Yes, and I mean bothering us in a in a good natured, friendly way, not uh, not in a negative <laughs> way. It's uh, we appreciate anyone who has. Uh, that much interest to uh, continue to interact with us. So thank you, JC. And this is for all the Space Jammers out there. Um, Space Jam was a huge hit when it came out in 1996. It grossed $230 million on its budget of $80 million. 
And and more than that, it was this ridiculous merchandising bonanza that ultimately, although this is, I don't know how long this figure encompasses how many years, but uh, made $6 billion in merchandising over a period of time, uh, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong. And uh, also had a massively popular soundtrack that went six times platinum. So... I mean, this movie is a juggernaut of of money making, yeah. Beyond just just the box office, still the uh, highest grossing basketball movie ever. So, which is suck a low it, bar, Hoosiers. Really. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's a lot of competition for that. No, Hoosiers but... is a great basketball movie. I'm yeah, but Hoosiers came out in like the what late seventies or early eighties. I mean, if you if you're talking about box office numbers, you know, inflation wise, anything is gonna just over time is going to be bigger than that, even if it was popular. Well, so. I mean, I just think even like, okay, this is still the most popular basketball movie ever. Yes. Sorry, Juana Man. <laughs> oh, Juana Man. Um, and it was, of course, based on a series of, I think it's Nike advertisements that yes. paired up Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny and were directed by Joe Pitka, who uh, went on to direct this movie and then never direct another movie. Well... Uh, but, well, a few things there, Josh, if I can yes. just jump in. Please do. Uh, okay, so those are the hair Jordan commercials, H-A-R-E, like a bunny hair. And uh, have you seen those commercials? From I mean, I'm 90s? sure I did in the 90s because they were unavoidable, but I didn't. Did you go watch them again in addition yeah. to Space Jam? They're, yeah, they're much, um, they're much, they're Better much. Better than Space Jam? Yeah, I was going to say, not just that, <laughs> but they have like a very clear line of thought, which uh, Space Jam does not. It's a... Little all over the place. And uh, Joe Pitka, you can say that about him, but he did really well as a, you know, he's in the DGA. Uh, he won like the Lifetime Achievement Award for commercials. He's in the Advertising Hall of Fame. He did make one other movie. I think it was Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfus back in the uh, early yeah, 80s. So, that, you know, and yeah. he's a very famous commercial director. He did the I Am Tiger Woods, you know, commercials. And he has uh, on the, on the uh, Super Bowl USA Today ad meter poll, his uh, commercial security camera is the number one ranked of all time. 50 pieces in MoMA. This guy's done all right for himself. He's got an Emmy and a Grammy. You got any awards, Josh? Uh, <laughs> we won some awards one time at the 48-hour film project. That's right. That's right. Everyone <laughs> should know that we won uh, the uh, best script and uh, and uh, actor and actress. We we really cleaned up that that year. I think I, I think I have a like maybe a best student in English class award from high school. That's possible. Wow, nice so, job. There were something some, like that. There were some um, you know very good students in high school. So yeah, I have a I have a I have a plaque for that so, somewhere. Some of our old classmates say you were the Joe Pitka of English class. Yeah, we, well, we should I'd, put all we should put all this on the about section of you guys. Yes, website. absolutely. Under under <laughs> awards, that's that's what we should absolutely list there. Um, I mean, you're you're obviously you're right about Joe Pitka. I just mean that uh, this this certainly wasn't the launch of a great career as a a film director. But you can't argue that this movie wasn't successful and didn't do well for everyone involved in it. And was well-received, certainly well-received by audiences. It got an A-minus cinema score from the audience polling service. And it was received, uh, it was, you know, got a mixed reception from critics. Siskel and Ebert 
actually quite liked it. They gave it two thumbs up. And it's funny to watch the Siskel and Ebert segment now because not only did they enjoy this movie, but they spend like half the segment talking about how this is clearly the launch of Michael Jordan's career as a movie star. And it's so promising and he's got so much potential and uh, he has never been in another movie. Is that true? He was never in another movie after <laughs> that. This? That is true. He's never, I mean, unless you count like, you know, documentary appearances or something like that, he's never been, uh, he's never acted. He I was don't. never even in Like Mike starring Bow Wow. I don't think he was. <laughs> I think he wants to be Michael Jordan. So I, I mean, I, I glanced at, at, his, at IMDb and it didn't appear that he had been in another movie as an actor, but as appearing again, like in a documentary or something, I believe. Well, yeah. of course. I mean, this year, I mean, we can save it for the legacy, but The Last Dance was a huge deal. You know, the 10-part ESPN 30 for 30 yes. series that yes. everyone watched in quarantine. But I got to give a little credit to Jordan because, you know, he won three championships in the NBA, retired as a champ, came back, won three more, retired as a champ, and now with Space Jam, retired as a champ, as an actor. So <laughs> That's true. He realized he had reached the pinnacle of his abilities and he just decided to walk away. He so, goes out on top all the time. Yeah, I know. I just think it's funny. And they're talking about like all the different kinds of roles he could take. And it, it, it they were very, very wrong. What did they think? What roles could he have taken? I mean, Siskel was saying how, oh, after this, he's going to be offered so much and he's going to be offered like a like a superhero role. And but he shouldn't go for that. He should play like a funny neighbor next door. <laughs> and I mean, it was just they had some real ideas here for Michael Jordan's long and fruitful fruitful career as an actor that uh, did not happen. But Roger Ebert in his very positive review said, Space Jam is a happy marriage of good ideas. Three films for the price of one, giving us a comic treatment of the career adventures of Michael Jordan crossed with a Looney Tunes cartoon and some showbiz warfare. It entertains kids at one level while giving their parents a lot to smile at too. It's an inspired way to use and kid Jordan's image, while at the same time updating Bugs Bunny and company to doing battle in the multi-zillion dollar animation sweepstakes. It is difficult for an actor to work in movies that combine live action with animation, because much of the time he cannot see the other characters in a scene with him. But Jordan has a natural ease and humor, an unforced charisma, that makes a good fit with the cartoon universe. By not forcing himself, by never seeming to try too hard to be funny or urgent, Jordan keeps a certain dignity. He never acts as if he thinks he's a cartoon too, and that's why he has good chemistry with the tunes. He's a visitor to Looney Land, not a resident. And, All right. Uh, All right, yeah. Josh, I'm going to take this here. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what, uh, I know you're not a sports guy, but do you know what uh, hometown refin is, a little home cook in there? Uh, so, uh, I don't think I know what, this, what you're talking about. Okay. So in sports, sometimes they say the, the refs favor the home teams. Okay. And, and Jordan was always famous for getting all the whistles, uh, all like people pe like fouls called against the people who were defending him and especially playing in Chicago and, and you know, the United Center or where, wherever it was before they played there. But like that's hometown refing giving favoritism to the, the home team and the home star. Makes sense. Well, what uh, newspaper did Mr. <laughs> Roger Ebert write for ah, when reviewing this? Yeah, uh, film about the, uh, Chicago Bull legend Michael Jordan. Yeah, the Chicago Sun Times, and to be fair, Gene Siskel wrote for the Chicago Tribune, and they are both diehard Chicago guys. Yeah, I think uh, I think they have, um, let's say, not rose-colored glasses, but um, 
the the deep red of the Chicago Bulls colored glasses on here. Uh, yeah, little 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 uh, little easy going. I don't know if someone in the New York Times, if Peter Travers, would have done that. that yeah, uh, other critics were less enamored of this and of Michael Jordan as an actor. So uh, Richard Corliss in Time Magazine said, "Look." We're not about to knock a family movie that offers wholesome entertainment, the smartest menagerie in cartoon history, and Michael Jordan, as gorgeous a figure in movie close-up as he is on the basketball court. Well, maybe a little knock. Space Jam, the first feature with all new footage of Bugs, Daffy, and other Looney Tunes immortals, is on the wan and sanctimonious side. Less a good movie than a safe place to park the kids on a mall afternoon. Director Joe Pitka, who also did the McDonald's TV spot that cued the film, too often stands slack-jawed before the wonder, the grace, the supernal niceness of his live-action star. The movie could have been a gleaming showcase for cartoon wit. Instead, it's an 87-minute commercial peddling sainthood for Michael Jordan. And um, I think he's wrong. It's not McDonald's, right? It's Nike that those commercials were. Well, you know, it could be. But as as our friend Stan, the character in the film, says, at one point, he's got a line uh, where he says, slip on your Hanes, lace up your Nikes, take your Wheaties and your Gatorade, and we'll grab a Big Mac on the way to the ballpark. Those were all companies Jordan was advertising yes. for. Yes. Can you go back? What did he say? The 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 smartest menagerie, or what? What did he say there in the review? Yeah, Josh? the smart, the smartest menagerie in cartoon history. I mean, he clearly thinks the Looney Tunes characters are great, but maybe this is not the showcase for them. I, I would agree with that. I think I think so. And you know, if you look back at like what Chuck Jones said about it, you know, and everything, he would say he he ripped the you know the legendary Looney Tunes director creator uh, type. Uh, he said that uh, Bugs Bunny within seven minutes would have defeated all the aliens and would have never recruited any help. What I will agree with is um, Michael Jordan and I watched, you know, a lot of The Last Dance and like, you know, a huge basketball fan, like very uh, a sight to behold as an athlete. That is certain. Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't think anyone in any criticism of this movie would claim that Michael Jordan is not like a good basketball player. Well, not just that, just like... Um, just he looks like he looks the part of the best basketball player of the world, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, he does. He has. Uh, I mean, he's he's very tall, and uh, and he's <laughs> good, and he's good a, analysis, Josh. He's, he's very very good looking. No, I mean he is. He is. He's clearly got charisma. I don't know that it really comes across in this movie, but I mean, I'm sure the reason that they wanted to build a movie around him wasn't just because he's a great athlete, but because he has that charisma as evidenced in those commercials, for example, but also in, in press conferences and in interviews and in everything that he did throughout his career as a basketball player beyond just being on the court. And I think that's true. Whether this movie captures it, eh, not so much. And, yeah, uh, Dave, can you look up the name of the video game Michael Jordan was in? in the It was called like Michael Jordan versus like the Windy City something. Yeah, I, rem I remember that. Yeah, which is like just a basic action game, but instead of like Throwing fireballs like Mario, you would throw basketballs and everything. Chaos in the Windy City. Yeah. So, Josh, <laughs> you were saying people wanted to base the movie around him based on these commercials. And also, I had read that um, they liked his facial expressions in the video game in the <laughs> mid-90s. They thought that was enough, I guess. Yeah. Early 16-bit. I can't say he has a lot of uh, memorable facial expressions in this movie, exactly. Um so to pile on Michael Jordan, Rita Kempley in the Washington Post said, 
It is no surprise to find the movie produced by Jordan's agent, David Falk, who uses Space Jam to showcase his client, the products Jordan endorses, and the teams with which he is or was associated. The film even includes footage from his college years with the North Carolina Tar Heels. Warner Brothers also puts in its own plug. Daffy Duck is surprised to find the company logo sewn on his feathery fanny. And with plugs and pitches so prominent throughout, it's a wonder that Porky Pig doesn't turn into a pink plush toy or maybe a lunchbox before the credits roll. Everybody wants to be like Mike, including Mike, who is surrounded protectively not only by Toons and NBA colleagues, but a supporting cast of actual live actors. They're meant to disguise the star's shortcomings when he isn't shooting hoops or staring bemusedly into the distance. Ever see a totem pole try to act? So... Oh, she I'm not going to go that far, man. That's a little harsh, a totem pole. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he wouldn't be the spokesman for everything in the world if he couldn't, you know, at least uh, pitch something with charisma. Right. So, right. Maybe he can't carry a 90 minute movie, but he's not a totem pole. You know? No, no, no. I mean, I think there have been instances of, of non-actors, uh, famous people who are not famous for acting, who attempt to act, who do a worse job than Michael Jordan does here. Uh, he does have that. Uh, some amount of innate charisma. Um, I don't think it helps for an actor, kind of contrary to what Roger Ebert says, for someone who doesn't have experience acting, putting him in his first movie opposite a bunch of characters who aren't really there while he's acting opposite them is maybe not the best, I think. Sure. And other NBA players who aren't professional actors, you know, there's there's an old adage, if you want to get better at basketball, play with people who are better than you. So, you know, maybe if you surrounded Mike with more of those Bill Murray types, he could have they could have helped elevate his game as an actor. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we're ripping him because he's the star. But like a lot of it, as you're saying, not his fault. Right. No, there are many bad things about this movie, and he is only one of them. Um, <laughs> so um, and any other uh, statistics on this movie's uh, creation or success that you wanted to share, Jason? <sighs> I mean. No. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, no, I would you... say this, they, you know, yeah. like the one thing that they did do, which is interesting if you're an animation geek, which I'm not, but it was fun to research is, um, that, you know, the Looney Tunes over the decades had different styles. And this is like more, most reminiscent of the 1940s style, Bob Clampett. And the other two things are, you know, we talked about all the effects in independence day, this, which obviously came out the same year. This uh, beat those records. This had 1,043 composited shots and 1,100 FX shots, which is 400 more than Independence Day. And it was the first movie ever shot on a 360-degree green screen. So, like, technically, it's pretty impressive considering all those things. Yeah, I guess. Although I think Independence Day holds up a lot better in terms of the effects. Like, We'll talk about this. See, Dave, we got him to finally admit Independence Day is a good movie. Yeah, I know. It took Space Jam. Right. It's Independence Day is a better movie than Space Jam. I will I will stand by that. Um, And I wonder maybe so we're coming to this and, and, and maybe we're a little confused at its enduring popularity. And that may be in part because we never saw it when it first came out and we don't have those nostalgia associations. I know I never did. Did you, Jason, see this in 1996? Josh, you are incorrect. I did see it in 1996. I actually had a family friend who was one of the marketing people on this. So I knew about this movie long before. And as you know, I'm a huge basketball fan. 
right. like Looney Tunes. Uh, I liked hip hop in the 90s. I kind of liked that uh, Monstars theme song with like Busta Rhymes and LL Cool J. Hell yeah. What Coolio's doing on it? I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, I was I was actually excited for it. I th- I saw it in the theater and uh, I didn't like it then. And uh, upon rewatching, uh, rewatching, I still don't like it. All right. Well, yeah, I never saw it. I, I liked the Looney Tunes fine. I remember watching old Looney Tunes cartoons on on probably on Nickelodeon or something as a kid. But I was definitely not a sports fan at all. Um, I I was thinking as I was watching this movie, I don't think I've ever seen an entire basketball game like from beginning to end. So this may have been the first time. Um, yeah, this this definitely counts as a real basketball. Game, yes, Josh. yes, it does. But I think what we're showing is that um, sports fan or sports uh novice shall we call you or oblivious to sports yeah uh, this movie can be bad across all types of movie fans <laughs> that it can so dave did you see it are you a sports guy dave not really huh N- not at all okay. and i did i did see it though as a looney tunes fan and as jason mentioned as a hip-hop fan it was uh, on my radar you know did you like it when you saw it at uh, age 17 or eight whatever I it was don't... I feel like I did, but I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know why I would have liked it that much. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's one thing about this movie that I wonder how many people who claim to love it are just claiming to love it based on a memory from 24 years ago. Yeah. Um, But we'll get into more about why this movie sucks in a moment when we talk about our general thoughts on Space Jam. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this special bonus episode of our season on the films of 1996. We've been talking about a movie that apparently is beloved and we're about to tear apart, I think. It is Space Jam starring Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny, who weirdly gets uh, a credit at the beginning as if he's an, he himself is an actor, even though uh, none of the other Looney Tunes characters do. And then the rest of the credits are for actual uh, human actors. So that I thought was weird. Really not one of the least notable dumb things about this movie, but <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of weird things about it, Josh, like as, uh, was pointed out to me, the Looney Tunes exist on television in the human world, but they also exist in some middle earth real world where people don't know they exist, but they have like their own world, but that's, and they're cartoons, but those aren't the cartoons that people are watching per se. So um, I need Frodo to guide me through this, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. They, they they live in the center of the earth uh, where the, the molten core of the planet is. There are the Looney Tunes for some reason. And and they're being so the plot of this movie, which is something, uh, is that there are these monsters and they run a monsters. Well, they're not the monsters yet. Yeah. First, they're yeah. just the sort of minions, aliens called yeah. the nerd called the nerd lux, even though we never hear that term. Yeah, I didn't recall. I read. I kept reading that in, in plot summaries, and I didn't recall anyone ever saying that in the movie. Uh, but they are the the sort of the minions of uh, Mr. Swackhammer, played by Danny DeVito. There you go, that guy who runs an amusement park out Moron in, Mountain out in space, and has determined that. He needs the Looney Tunes as a new attraction at his park 
Um, which means it's like more like it's like a zoo or something because he's going to capture them yeah, and, and no. put them in, in cages and put them on display. Yeah, Josh, the only way to get people to work for you in uh, the Looney Tunes land is to go to their planet uh, under the earth. They're part of the earth and uh, enslave them. And the only right. way to enslave them is if you beat them fair and square in a game of their choosing. Yeah, this is somehow uh, Bugs Bunny decides that this is the way that they are going to avoid enslavement is by making up a rule uh, that they have to be beaten at a game by the Nerdlucks. And uh, because the Nerdlucks are very small, Bugs Bunny decides that they're going to play basketball. Which even involves, though, even though what? Even, even though none of the Looney Tunes have ever, ever played, played basketball, basketball. <laughs> or seem to know how to play basketball. Yes. And also basketball relies generally on being tall. And as we learn, as the Looney Tunes get introduced eventually during the game, they're not tall. They're, it, they're all like, like three and a half feet tall, which is also very confusing because for example, Elmer Fudd, Yosemite Sam meant to be human ish. But they are they are much smaller than human children, um, which is oh, very that's confusing. Adorable. That's it's, adorable. Well, especially there's a scene later where they have to go to Michael Jordan's house to grab his stuff. Why he can't go get his own stuff, I, I couldn't. That's another issue. But so they 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 sneak into his house and they're spotted by his children. And the sight of Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, like really small and you realize they're meant to be really tiny compared to the children. It's just very disconcerting. Compared to the dog. Like, and right, exactly. And to the dog <laughs> who looks like some giant monster compared to them it is the, the, the proportions of the cartoon characters in this movie are completely unsettling and nonsensical. And obviously Michael Jordan is going to be much taller than them because he's much taller than most people. But I don't know. That is, yeah. So they challenge the nerd Lux to play, play basketball and they agree, but then everyone just cheats, right? The Nerdlucks, they steal the talent from all these other famous basketball players that turns them into the Monstars. So they're now giant and uh, hulking and able to play basketball really well. But the Looney Tunes are able to just kidnap Michael Jordan and have him be on their team, even though he's not a Looney Tune. So I don't know. <laughs> the the ref the refereeing in this film yeah Mar Marvin Martian really yeah There's, I mean honestly like uh there was an NBA refereeing scandal years ago uh, I think Tim Donahue was the guy who was like taking payoffs like from like a mob type outfit I'm wondering if this Marvin the Martian as the ref wasn't wasn't taking some secret handouts uh, behind the scenes there maybe from. Uh, uh, Mr. Swackhammer in the first half and then whoever runs Looney Tunes. Yeah, in the and then, second then half. from Bugs afterwards. I don't know. I mean, yeah. the plot, the plot is so convoluted and and full of holes. And the only explanation I can think is that, of course, this movie wasn't made because someone had a great story idea. The movie was made because somebody saw those commercials. And so some some poor screenwriter, and there's I think four credited screenwriters. That, this. Yes. This is where I think um I think so. as someone who's been in a situation probably similar to this, that someone wrote a draft that made sense. And then a bunch of people who produced this movie who don't know about movies were like, well, we need this product placement and we need to mention this. So they had to start filling all the holes in that just created other holes in logic. And then by, as you said, there are four screenwriters. We don't know how many drafts. 
by the time they shot it, which we know there were rewrites on set, as they said, like it was just um, uh, there. Was there even a script at that point or were they just like, uh, you go over here and do a thing and say a thing and uh, we'll, we'll we'll fix it in post. I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, the ironic thing, though, is that this movie, from a technical standpoint, as you're pointing out, is incredibly complex. And so I think it has to be at least somewhat tightly scripted so that they know where to place all those animated characters in the animation process. And they have to make sure that Michael Jordan says the right line so that they can get Bugs Bunny to respond in the right way. So even if they are rewriting it on set, I think they have to kind of lock it down script-wise in order for it to to work. And yeah, it, it really feels like someone had a list. You can imagine some kind of whiteboard somewhere and it says, you know, Michael Jordan, basketball, baseball, Bugs Bunny, aliens, uh, product placements. And it, it's like, throw this all together and somehow make it work. And yeah. no, no one knew how to do that. Yeah, and you know we we keep picking on Joe. Well, you keep picking on Joe Pitka, advertising Hall of Famer. But yes. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people say that Pitka really handled the um, kind of animation and like that that part of the directing. And it was Ivan Reitman who produced it, who kind of handled the story beats and um, the stuff with live actors, or at least the stuff with live actors, if not the story beats. And um, Ivan Reitman. Uh, um, and, not, not his best movie. <laughs> no, certainly not. And I'm happy to blame anyone, other people. But Ivan Reitman deserves the blame as well. And and to defend Joe Pitka, logistically, I'm sure making this movie was a huge challenge. And it it comes off. I mean, all of those difficult technical elements do come together, even though I think, especially the, the computer effects really don't hold up very well. They look pretty bad now. But I'm sure they were cutting edge at the time. And they do all bit together, I guess. Before we get to some positives, I also want to point out. Yes. As much as I liked him in the 90s and still think he is uh, a very, I'd like to see more of him. I just think uh, the Wayne Knight character is really a horribly unnecessary and annoying character. That Stan character who's just Michael Jordan's like, yes, man, you know, and like, I'll do anything you need. Like, we we've seen so many better things from Wayne Knight, and um, I'm not just saying that because he and Dave have a resemblance towards one another. Oh, uh, this is, I think, the biggest stretch here of all the things you've said. You think poor, he looks more like Dave. Ivan Reitman? No, I, poor Dave, who's worked so hard to lose weight, and now you're comparing him to Wayne no. Knight. Oh, oh yeah, Dave. Dave, I, hey, I understand. It's, it's fully it's fully hair based. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Even, the, even the hair, I think. Yeah, it's a bit I'm of a not comparing here. his body type to him, Josh. Okay. We know it, and I'm not and I'm not body shaming Wayne Knight, who as right. I have said, That's I good. enjoy. I'm just saying, I if you were like if Wayne Knight came up. I was like, have you ever met my nephew, Dave? And it was Dave. I'd be like, oh, that, that makes sense. I can yeah, see that. Yeah, so. I suppose, I'm, si- I'm I- sitting here trying to figure out what Looney Tune to compare Jason to. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, Gossamer, maybe that orange monster who we barely see. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. A but, nice, nice deep cut for the Looney Tunes there. <laughs> so I just, that was, that, that was disappointing too. That character is really not necessary. And even yeah. with a not necessary character, it wasn't a good character. Um, uh, I will say, Josh, as you know, we like the alternative casting here. Uh, yeah. These were the other Ooh. names I read for that Stan character. Uh-huh. Uh, turned down by the studio, Dave's favorite leading man, Michael J. Fox. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, that would have been a very different kind of performance. And turned down by the studio. Yeah. I would, have, I would have thought Michael J. Fox would look at that movie as being way beneath him. 
that well, role. I mean, it made much more money than uh, Steve right. Frighteners did. Well, yeah, but I mean, he was, <laughs> as we talked about when we talked about the Frighteners, he was still a big leading man at this time. And that's a very, like, thankless supporting role. Uh, yeah. uh, Jason Alexander, which I could see. Oh, you yeah. Know. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Chevy Chase and... Kind of wish it was Chevy Chase just for the set stories that could have happened there. You know? Yeah, see if he and Bill Murray would have come to fisticuffs perhaps at some point, sounds <laughs> yeah. likely. And then Vincent D'Onofrio, comic. Uh, he's done some decent comedy. No, and I was a, a, a year after this, Vincent D'Onofrio was fantastic in Men in Black. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's done some stuff. So... Look, we've been crushing it. Do you see any positives? Like, because I can name three positive things in this movie. <laughs> three positive things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one, it's short. There's, a, but yet it's not short enough. As Chuck Jones pointed out, this should be like a seven-minute Looney Tunes short film, and then it wouldn't matter as much that it didn't make any sense. And as you also pointed out, the commercials, which are thirty seconds or sixty seconds, maybe are fun to watch because they're short and they don't have to make sense and you don't even mind that they're selling you Nikes. Well, one thing on the commercials before you get back to continue on things that aren't positive, even though I asked you what you thought was positive about it. Um, yeah. The commercials, like I said, had a clearer line of thought. Like in the third quarter of the basketball game in Space Jam, we see the Looney Tunes use all types of like Looney Tunes style pranks, you know, to right. play defense. But those pranks really don't make sense if you watch the commercials, you're like, oh, this makes sense. Putting up a fake wall here for this basketball player on the other team to run into or whatever it is. Like, I feel like they just did a mishmash of pranks in the third quarter that um, none of which would have stopped a, uh, a monster inhabiting the talents of Patrick Ewing or Larry Johnson getting to the basket. Right. Agreed on all points. And, and I'll just name the other players there. Charles Barkley, who uh, maybe a bit of a better actor than Michael Jordan. Yeah, maybe, I mean, so. and he's he's someone who clearly, Charles Barkley, who's hosted Saturday Night Live multiple times, clearly is someone who is a frustrated comedian. He wants to be a comedy star. I think he's more engaged maybe than Michael Jordan is. And then very, very good talking head for like inside the NBA. And then the other two, Muggsy Bogues, who was probably the shortest player in the NBA at the time at five foot three, and Sean Bradley, who I recently saw at Trader Joe's, who's seven foot six. So, you know, or seven, seven, something like that. So. Yeah, he's he was very tall. I wasn't familiar with him, but uh, as we have established, I don't know anything. I, I felt I felt sort of proud of myself that I recognized Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and Larry Bird <laughs> without them having to be. The legends. Yeah, look yeah. at you, Josh. So, yeah. Josh, again, I have three positive things. Do you have any? No, I don't. So just go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll say it. Bill Murray, hilarious in everything he did in the 90s. And like, you could see he knew that this project was just a runaway train and he just kind of uh, hammed it up. And Bill Murray was very funny in this movie. I laughed at a lot of the stuff he did. Yeah, he was he was fine. I mean, I think you're right. He can he comes in and he's clearly like aware that this movie is a shit show and he's just going to do his thing. I would have loved it if it was more Bill Murray and less Michael Jordan. Uh, okay, so that's one. Yeah. We already men mentioned the Monstars theme song featuring <laughs> Hit em High featuring Be Real, Busta Rhymes, Coolio. I don't know how you're still on there. LL Cool J and Method Man. That was a good 90s Classic. cut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to give a little dap to Larry Legend. Larry Bird, I thought of all the basketball players, was the one I actually believed as um, like... 
himself. Yeah, that's exactly it. The one who actually showed some type of chops as an actor. And perhaps that's why he had such a prolific year as an actor, because he was also in Celtic Pride the same year. Ah, I have not seen that. But do you agree that of all the basketball players, he was the one who kind of performed the best? I mean, okay, I guess. Like, that's <laughs> I'm trying, a, Dave. I'm trying to get a, something here. Such a nothing standard to to achieve. Um, I mean, they're all clearly doing what they can, and they're they're trying to have fun with it. And I, I they probably did have fun with it. I mean, they got to goof around with the Looney Tunes characters or whatever. I'm sure it was a nice thing to do in the in the off season or or whatever that was. I guess Larry Bird was retired at this point, but. Uh, also, if you're going to get all those great basketball players to be in your movie, and I had, having not seen this, I wasn't sure on all the details. I kind of, for some reason, assumed that eventually by the climax, in addition to Michael Jordan, all of these other basketball greats would play basketball. And uh, that doesn't happen. They're just so, monsters. So. There's just the monsters. You have all these great basketball players who are not great actors. And uh, you say, let's get them in this movie. And make sure they don't play any basketball. Hey, Josh. Let's, uh, let's put this in the script. Don't don't get them to play basketball. Let's continue this producers meeting right now. Okay, ready? Yeah. Um, right. Okay, so Ivan Reitman's producing. That's cool. We have a good experience guy there. Joe Pitka, we know he can handle himself as a commercial director. So we should probably get an experienced director of photography. Someone who... You know, maybe has done kids movies, someone who's done family fair, maybe some animation. I know. Let's get the guy who shot the taxi driver and raging bull, Michael <laughs> Chapman. Remember that? And I'm not knocking the cinematography, but like, man, talk about a definite like fish out of water situation. <laughs> like that would be the last guy I would. It would be like Space Jam, uh, you know. Shot by Vilmos Zygismond or something like that. Yes, yes. Who, who in fact, uh, oh, no, it's not him. It's uh, Janusz Kaminski who shot uh, Cool as Ice, the uh, Vanilla Ice movie. So. All right, yeah. So all these things are, I, I, but that one definitely stuck out as like, you know, the taxi driver and Space Jam. Good, uh, right, right. Good uh, bookends there. Yeah, I will say, though, probably, to be fair, that a movie like this, the the, the cinematographer who's credited probably only worked on parts of the movie because so much of it is made by animators who are, who are creating it uh, on their own. You know, there's not a, there's not a physical camera set up there. So I'm sure he had a lot of collaboration or, or help or whatever from the whole animation team. And uh, yeah, technically, I guess, you know, if I say anything good, it's, it certainly comes together technically. Although again, you look at look at like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is what is that from? It might be 87? from eighty seven. There you go. So even even earlier like. than I was than I was going to say. Much better at integrating all of that stuff. Much What's more a convincing. Better movie, though? Well, and uh, yes, of course, a much better movie, but also more convincing. I think in the way that the the live actors interact with the animated characters, it it makes a much more immersive world of those two things fitting together than this movie does. Um, yeah, that I had read Bill Murray. And who knows if it's true. One of the reasons he took this role was because he uh, regretted not taking a role in Roger Rabbit. So, Yeah, Bill Murray, uh, great, great uh, comedic performer, great actor, really. Not always the best chooser of roles. Well, late, lately, I mean, that's changed since the uh, Wes Anderson trade. But uh, yeah, I mean, like he did like larger than life in the in the 90s and some some interesting choices. 
Can I tell you a funny story that is, you had mentioned all these basketball legends that um, you might enjoy uh, based on my career, Josh? As a basketball legend? No, as a writer. Yes. So at one point in I, when our, my ex writing partner, I had a little hot minute in Hollywood and we would go around and take all these meetings. People would, you know, producers would pitch us ideas. And if we sparked to them, maybe we would work together on them. The worst pitch I have ever received in any meeting was involved basketball legends. And it was basically um, space cowboys for basketball. <laughs> and it was, it involved like all these young players taking over the NBA and somehow ruining it. So all these retired legends had to get together and work as a, so you might be like all these guys that you see who are now retired, but they're going to come back and work as a team because they're legends and they're going to like reclaim the NBA for like the sanctity of basketball or something like that, which, you know, from a uh, physical standpoint, doesn't even make sense. Cause you know, when you're in your forties, your body doesn't work like it does when it's in your 20s. But I just thought, like, what what kind of pitch is this? This one doesn't make sense. Two, do you want to see all these basketball players acting? Um, it's it's It wasn't a good pitch, Josh. No, no. At first, I thought you were going to say maybe it involved the old basketball players piloting a space shuttle. Like Maybe it did. Shuttle. I could have blocked that out. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been fun. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's definitely a bad idea. Uh, much like Space Jam, which as 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 someone I someone pointed out, I think on Letterboxd, does not take place in space. <laughs> not at it, all. Uh, there are some jams, though. There are some jams on the soundtrack. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because I know you watch this with your daughter, Scarlett, um, and, and this is a movie mainly for kids. Did she enjoy watching it? Shockingly, yes. We watched like a half hour and then you know, we were going to come back and I said, do you want me to just watch the rest without you? Which she does sometimes, like when I showed her The Godfather. Um, <laughs> that's not true. But she said no. And she wanted to watch the whole thing. And like she was jumping off the couch, like slam dunking an imaginary basketball. And I said, um, you better enjoy it on the couch because we're going to go back into lockdown soon because no one's wearing masks. And uh, life will never be what it once was. I didn't say any of that, but she did yeah. like... She did like it, and she was pretending to slam dunk. And I think, obviously, Lola Bunny, uh, who went on to no fame after this, <laughs> was probably the character she related to. But um, the, the really sexy bunny—that's the character that she. No, the to? female bunny, Josh. Oh. I mean, I I get it. The, the yeah. Lola Bunny uh, was definitely drawn in the eyes of men, and not not ladies i i think she was just very liberated yeah i don't know it's it's like they watched who framed roger rabbit and they took all the wrong lessons from it they decided you know what we need we need our own jessica rabbit for this children's basketball movie lola bunny is dressed like a a female rapper in like a um in like an uncut video sometimes when they would wear like the tight basketball shorts and like the cutoff jersey or something right like and and okay okay lola bunny even before they wear the uniforms to play the final game lola bunny wears clothing bugs bunny does not what do you think that's weird or do you think it would be weirder if she didn't wear <laughs> i don't know i i can't like <laughs> none of it is is i can't make sense of any of it and but i i, I think before we before we wrap up uh and give our ratings i think we should at least acknowledge and that's why i wanted to ask about scarlet that as much as we all dislike this, people love this movie. Yeah, and, and my six-year-old is one of them. Yeah, kids who people who saw it as kids 
still love it as adults. And I think that's a lot of what drives the continued popularity of it is that people who saw it when they were kids and who are now in their, their 30s or so probably are really like fueling this nostalgia for it. So I don't get it. And I think we've talked about this maybe in, in other episodes about other things. Like there's stuff that I liked as a kid and I don't think there's anything wrong with going back to it as an adult and saying, you know what, this sucks. It doesn't mean that I didn't like it as a kid. It doesn't invalidate my feelings when I was a child, but you can acknowledge that it sucks. It's okay. Stop picking on the kids, Josh. No, that's what I'm saying. It's not about the kids. The kids are fine. The kids have terrible taste because they're kids. But once you're an adult, I don't think it it invalidates your childhood to say this is actually a bad movie and I can acknowledge that. I agree. Or vice versa. If there was a movie you didn't like as a kid, as an adult, you could watch and be like, oh, I missed something here. This is a good movie. Right. Right. You know, so I, I agree. Um, I don't get it. And I'm ready to move on with my life. Let's do that then. <laughs> Shall we rate Space Jam out of uh, five slam dunks? Slam dunks. I was going to go with uh, glowing basketballs containing the talents of NBA players. <laughs> Let's do that instead. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, technically, I want to get it up to two and a half, but then I listened to our crash episode recently, which I gave two and a half. Probably should have been a three. So I'm going to give this a two because there's because um there was no um car crashes followed by uh, erotic sexual. No, it's just a two. It's not a good movie. The two are for the for the technical merits and Bill Murray and uh, Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it one and a half. And uh, Bill Murray really, really carries whatever there is. So Dave, did you watch this again recently? Oh, I sure did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and you guys know I can like a good dumb movie, but this just isn't it. I give it a two as well. Yeah, Dave, uh, to, for comparison's sake, Dave's number two movie of 2020 so far is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> that's right. That's not, I, I think that is a, a good comparison. It's yeah. a really good comparison, but uh, this just is not, it does not hold up. I mean, would can we be honest though, Josh, uh, if you're fr if Facebook friends with Dave, like when this episode comes out, would you be shocked if Dave's mom posted a picture of Dave in a Toon Stars jersey from? I'm the sure I had one. I'm yeah. sure I had one. Absolutely. That's that's like that's like three three sizes too big for him and covers his shorts entirely. Yes. Yes. If he's well, that's if he's an older teen. But if it was in the younger teens, it would be sizes too small. Dave definitely changed his clothing style as he got more into hip hop there. Uh, yeah. So we'll hope, uh, hopefully Dave's mom will dig that up and we will come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Space Jam. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special bonus episode of our season on the films of 1996, we're talking about a movie that apparently is beloved by many and uh, they wanted to hear about it from us and we just told them how much it sucks. It's Space Jam. And the legacy of, like, as much as this movie is terrible, and honestly, if I was unaware of the larger sort of cultural phenomenon that is Space Jam, and I just watched this, I would assume that this was one of those movies that was completely misguided and made no impact at the box office and instead was just sort of like a, a weird footnote in Michael Jordan's career as an athlete. And yet... It is the opposite of that. And in fact, as someone who's not a sports fan, I bet that there are plenty of people who are 
are like me who aren't even into basketball, who aren't even into Michael Jordan, but have this weird nostalgic love for Space Jam. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so the legacy is is what some of the stuff we kind of talked about in the in the first segment, uh, the merchandising of this movie is was a massive industry that that continues on. I mean, I'm I bet you can walk into Target right now and buy a Space Jam T-shirt still. That would be weird if you did that, though. Well, yeah, you shouldn't uh, stay home. Don't don't uh, maybe buy a buy a Space Jam uh, mask. Oh, I'd wear a Space Jam mask. Yeah, I'd wear one of those. So uh, contrary to what Siskel and Ebert thought, Michael Jordan didn't become a big movie star, but this certainly helped cement his position as sort of a pop culture icon, again, beyond just being an athlete. He was already the most popular athlete in the world. And, um, you know, man, yeah, he's he he's a phenomenon, you know. But this year was the kind of um, revisiting of that phenomenon where – once we started quarantining, ESPN moved up the 10-part 30 for 30s, The Last Dance, which Michael Jordan's company produced. So it was a very another Bulls uh, positive picture of those championship years. But it is fun watching Michael Jordan and all those interviews. And you could see he's still competitive and hates uh, a lot of the people he played against. And uh, uh, it's a very uh, intricate documentary and a lot of people love it. Do they talk about Space Jam? Uh, I've watched the first five episodes. There's 10 hour episodes and uh, I haven't gotten to Space Jam, but I bet you they will. You know, this was a thing in the 90s. Remember Shaq did blue chips and then um, Ray Allen a few years later did He Got Game, which is probably the best of the bunch, you know? Yeah, He Got Game is pretty good. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remembered liking it. Yeah, so um, yeah, I I think they must because they do go over, you know, all of his kind of... um, like you, you got to understand, like this wasn't a thing before Michael Jordan. There were there were athletes who advertised, but it wasn't on a global scale where they were doing 10 different companies and all these kind of like tie in commercials. Uh, you know, there were commercials, but nothing to the extent of like what was going on here. And then basing a movie around it like I can't. Can you name an earlier movie like that stars a athlete that's based on that athlete? Like, I guess. Blue Chips was around the same time, but Shaq wasn't playing Shaq, I don't think, at that point. Yeah, I don't know about people. Uh, Evil Evil Knievel starred in a a biopic about his own life in the 70s, I believe. Right. There were probably a few, like, boxing things like that in the 70s, too. But, but, I mean, yeah, from the Michael Jordan standpoint, this this was the thing. And now, here we are, about a year away from the new Space Jam movie, Josh. Yes, that's a big part of it. Space Jam, A New Legacy, starring LeBron James, who uh, is following those footsteps. We're talking about the athletes or, or basketball players who are trying to launch themselves as actors. He, of course, appeared in Trainwreck, Jason's favorite movie, um, and and got a lot of positive response from his role in that. And I think that, in part, led to him being able to lead this uh, new Space Jam film and I was somewhat surprised to learn that apparently uh, this movie has been shot. It's so it's it's going to be ready to go. I mean, they got as- they got a real team on this one, too. Like, this is a good team here. You know, Malcolm D. Lee directed it. Ryan Coogler and Steve Ohanian uh, wrote the script. So, like, you know, and Coogler, I think, produced it. So that's like a, that's a legit thing. LeBron. I don't I didn't think he was a great SNL host. He's good in some commercials. I am not looking forward to the movie. 
But I do want to say the the company that he has, Braun uh, Entertainment, they put out some really good movies in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these athletes are often good business people and are able to uh, kind of guide these companies to creating good uh, products, whether they're great screen presences. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Well, about that. well, this past year, we know Kevin Garnett got very good reviews in Uncut Gems. That's true. Also um, playing playing himself. But I mean, I feel like that's that's a limited role where he's playing himself. He's not the main character of the movie. He just kind of comes in and embodies his own presence. Yeah. And, yeah. I was trying to think of like, who's the best athlete turn actor? Is it Jim Brown? Jim Brown did some good stuff, you know? Uh, but, I mean, the obvious answer is Dwayne Johnson. Yes. Um, okay. And, jo and John Cena. So the guys from the world of wrestling, that's what we're, but if we're, I if mean, we're I think so. Uh, Terry, Terry Cruz, uh, who was a, who was an NFL player. I mean, sure. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. Terry Cruz is good. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, yeah, the, the wrestlers are good, but I think they have that entertainment background already, you know, as right. opposed yeah. to just, um, it's not, it's not quite the same. Yeah. So, uh, I will, I will want to say we miss, I missed this mentioning this in the background, but related to space jam two, which is being directed by Malcolm D Lee, uh, who is of course the cousin of Spike Lee director of, he got game and initially meant to be involved in this film, of course, Spike Lee, a huge basketball fan, and was uh, supposed to be have some sort of role, not direct, but uh, some sort of maybe production or Dude. writing role on this. And the studio turned him down, decided they didn't want him. Well, you're missing the link there, Josh, which was that he directed those Michael Jordan commercials, and that's where we first met Mars Blackman, you know, who was kind of that uh, character from, like, the 80s Spike Lee movies and everything like that. So, you know, he was... Very ahead of his time with those, um, with shooting those commercials and everything. But uh, yeah, I don't know why they would. Uh, I guess I have no idea. But again, they turned down Michael J. Fox too. So you know. yeah, I don't, and whatever stupid decisions they made all worked out apparently because they had a massive <laughs> success. Yeah. So I want to say this: um, this new Space Jam will be the first. Looney Tunes movie since Looney Tunes Back in Action, which I think was two thousand three. Uh, with Brendan Fraser and Jenna Elfman. Uh, yeah, which has a weird like cult following, although I don't think it's very good and and was initially developed as a Space Jam sequel. There were a bunch of different versions of what they could have done with a Space Jam sequel and eventually evolved into into Looney Tunes back in action, which was not a big success, although again, it has uh quite a dedicated cult following in yeah. part because Joe Dante is the director who's who's got his own following. There. Well, look, um I, I was going to talk about those other ones and there was like if you were gonna do a Space Jam sequel, like they had some interesting different things there, you know. So uh Jeff Gordon, the race car driver, maybe it was called Race Jam. Yeah. So mm. Tiger Woods, obviously that would have made sense as a golfer, you know, for for Tiger Jam, that's a thing. Tiger Jam, that was a concert, you know. Yes. The one I would have been most interested is uh Gleaming the Cube star Tony Hawk in Skate Jam. <laughs> I think yeah, I think the problem in all of those cases is that those people are not actors. Uh, and, but and Josh, it just, I'm yes. going to cut you off because there was one other one. Yeah. Jackie Chan in Spy Jam. See, and that would have been perfect because Jackie Chan not only A, is an actual actor, but B, is almost like a live action cartoon himself. And I think that probably would have been 
the most entertaining possibility there. Although I'm glad they didn't make any of those movies. I think it's a shame that they're making the LeBron James movie <laughs> and, and I hope it won't be, uh, it won't be terrible. So uh, we mentioned Looney Tunes back in action and the Looney Tunes themselves, even though they didn't have a big presence in the movies, uh, this was part of maybe getting them back into pop culture a bit. There have been a number of different Looney Tunes TV series uh, over the, the years since this, including currently, uh, the Looney Tunes are back on HBO Max with a series of shorts, which I haven't watched. Have you watched any of those with Scarlett? No, Mason? I think we will, though, now that she, that I got her interested in this. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the soundtrack, uh, yes. as, as we also alluded to, was a massive success, almost maybe even more of a success than the movie itself. And especially the theme song, uh, or I guess maybe it's not the theme song because there's a specific theme song, but it's certainly played over and over again in the movie, I Believe I Can Fly, by R. Kelly. Great human being, R. Kelly. He won two Grammys for it. It reached number two on the album charts. Uh, yeah, R. Kelly. Okay. Yeah. Not doing the best thing. No, no. But this 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 movie and that song is is one of the key building blocks to R. Kelly being a huge success. So that's another unfortunate legacy for Space Jam. I mean, he was going to be a success. He was already a success. And he had a lot of hits afterwards. Yes. So I'm not, look, I know we dislike Space Jam. I'm not going to blame it on, I'm not going to blame Space Jam on all of uh, R. Kelly's ills in the world. No, 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 that's fair. Bill Murray, as mentioned, maybe makes not the best choices in roles. uh, In the 90s. Yeah, I mean, and and afterwards, later after this, he decided to do another uh, animated live action hybrid thing as the voice of Garfield, which uh, I haven't seen those movies, but I can't imagine that they're uh, much better than Space Jam. Man, I don't know. I think this was like this and larger than life. And then... Even in the Charlie's Angels, he just came in and everything he did was hilarious. So I'm okay with that. Hey, some uh, some awesome movie year tie-ins here, Josh. There's the Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd gag where they play defense as like uh, Jules and Vincent in, uh, oh, in Pulp yeah. Fiction. Right. And recently we talked about Robert Zemeckis with uh, who produced The Frighteners. And uh, there's a story um, that the supervising producer, Neil Boyle, was saying... Uh, where Ivan Reitman called Robert Zemeckis because Zemeckis produced um, Roger Rabbit, right? He directed Roger. Oh, he directed it. And and Reitman said to him, he's like, you know, we're working on Space Jam. Should I do it? You know, it's going to be like Roger, the same process as Roger Rabbit. And Zemeckis said, don't do it. It nearly killed me. Well, and of course, Zemeckis became known for making these movies that are about their sort of like technical challenges before they're about their their story. So obviously he didn't heed his own advice. He kept doing uh, these ridiculous uh, combinations of animation and live action with his motion capture movies that he made. Also, Um, uh, can I just go back to the um, the soundtrack? Because you did mention the theme song, which is by the Quad City DJs. Which mm-hmm. literally, I'm pretty sure they just took the background track of their other hit, Come and Ride the Train, and just replaced <laughs> it with the words to the Space Jam song, because it sounds yeah. pretty much exactly the same to me. And I did notice, I don't know if it's in that song or in, in one of the other songs, but they they reappropriate, of course, there was, you know, Whoop, There It Is, which was a big hit somewhere around this mm-hmm. time. And at one point in one of the songs, they say, Hoop, There It Is. So that's the level of sophistication going on. Skate jam. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and quickly, we're, we're talking about movies based on commercials. And I was wondering how, how, 
how like was this the beginning of that? And I think I had thought that there were more of those, but the the main legacy there, of course, is Uncle Drew, uh, starring Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. That one's probably a little better than this, from what I hear. Yeah, a little. I've seen that one, and it's 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 quite bad, but um, it makes more sense than Space Jam, I guess. And and actually, it's sort of like that terrible pitch that you had because the whole idea is that these old basketball players are getting together to take on the young bucks in not in the NBA, but in like a street ball tournament, but, uh, featuring Shaquille O'Neal and old man makeup. So yeah, Reggie Miller, right. He's playing an old timer there too. Yeah. So. Lots of, lots of anyone and Kyrie Irving himself. So not a good movie. And the, the Geico cavemen TV series, that was, those were the two main examples I came up with about commercials go. being adapted. So, so many terrible things to blame on space jam. <laughs> I again, I'm not blaming them, but um, you know, you seem to be one. To, you want to be R. Kelly's defense lawyer and be like, "Your Honor, here's my case." Space Jam. No, I'm saying Space Jam enabled him. I'm not mm. defending him. I'm saying that Space Jam is an accomplice to R. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying Space Jam. I don't even want to go here, Josh. Let's no, just no, we should. Let's let's, yeah. let's just we can end it there. Uh, we've we've destroyed space jam no one will ever watch it again everyone will watch it and <laughs> yes. send their hate mail to you um, and what, you and you to all three of us really nobody here liked space jam no i didn't like it no can't say i did so that's space jam that's this episode of awesome movie year thank you to everyone if you are listening to this via patreon we appreciate it and uh, hopefully we provided you with uh, what you were looking for out of a discussion of Space Jam. <laughs> and that aside, you can uh, follow us elsewhere on social media. Yeah, send all your hate tweets to, uh, well, that'll be for Josh. But if you just want to talk to us, we're at awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram awesome movie pod on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jason Harris comedy on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris comedy on uh, Twitter. And I am at go for Jason, the space jam of websites. <laughs> By the way, did you know, did you look up the website space jam? Oh yeah. That's, that's one of those things that for some reason, this, the space jam website from 1996 still exists. That's, like that's amazing phenomenon. Yeah. yeah that's fantastic. So. Yes. Uh, you can find me on the internet in my presence still from 1996 uh, at com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at signalbleed on Twitter. And if you found us on Patreon, I'm sure you're familiar with our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can listen to us on any podcast app that you're listening to this great podcast on and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And Jason, uh, if people are listening to this bonus episode, what can they hear in our other 1996 bonus episode? Oh, yeah. A little film that we did there, Josh, that I don't remember right now. (laughs) (laughs) We've been so traumatized by Space Jam that we forgot the movie that we actually liked. Waiting for Guffman, that's right. We did Waiting for Guffman, which does hold up as an excellent film. And uh, you should listen to that one. And you should watch that movie. Yes, watch Waiting for Government. Check out our other bonus episode on that movie. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. 
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.